This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. He was runner-up to Les Nessman for the Buckeye Newshawk Award. Welcome to the Jim Day Podcast. Hello again, everyone. Welcome again to the Jim Day Podcast. Thanks for checking us out, and we continue to grow this thing, and we appreciate it. And we, uh, if you can do us a favor, if you haven't yet, go on, particularly on iTunes, and give us a five-star rating. That would be great. It will help the future of this podcast. You can follow along with me uh, at Jim Day TV on Instagram and Twitter. We are going to go down memory lane once again here today. And full disclosure, I've had uh, a few mentors in my career. And this gentleman is one of them as I welcome in George Grand to the Jim Day Podcast. How are we doing? JD, I'm doing great. You know, I mean, I did the first broadcast at ESPN. Yeah. I emceed the Hall of Fame ceremonies for 30 years. I've had some great moments, but now I feel I've made it. I'm on the JD Jim Day <laughs> podcast. This is big time, big time. Oh, all right, the Thank you for everything, too. Yeah. I couldn't believe the lunch today, the catering. This <laughs> yeah. is fantastic. And the, the way that you set this studio up, it's miraculous. Yeah. Yeah. It's unbelievable. The BS meter is going off the charts right now, by the way. It's just, uh, it's pinging. It's pegging, I should say. Um, hey, I want to start right there because there are lots of people that probably don't know, particularly in the younger generation, that, I mean, Sports Center on ESPN is such an institution that when it started, what, 1979, behind the first Sports Center desk was George Gran, the first ever host of Sports Center. I mean, that that has carried you everywhere. Yeah, it's right? pretty neat. It, um, you know, for all of us that were a part of it, and it was it was September 7th of 79. In fact, our 40th anniversary is this mm-hmm. September. I just had a call uh, recently about uh, doing an anniversary show in September, which we'll do. Um, but when we started, uh, we came from everywhere and anywhere. Um, there were veterans of the business. There were kids just out of college. Uh, and we all had a dream. Yeah. We had a vision of what ESPN might be, could be. Uh, but we knew it wasn't going to happen overnight. Um, we knew it would take some time, take some effort, take some growing, some learning, and some money, too. I mean, Getty Oil started ESPN. They lost $20 million a year for the first three years. If it wasn't for Getty wow. Oil, we never would have survived. Um, and so kudos to uh, Bill Rasmussen, who had the idea for right. ESPN, uh, Stu Evie, who was from Getty Oil, and the two guys who really deserve all the credit are Chet Simmons and Scotty Connell. They left NBC to come to ESPN. And um, really, they, they put us on a track that, that really set us in motion to be what ESPN is today. Well, let's set the stage. There are some people, particularly, again, in the younger generation that don't know. I mean, there's hundreds of channels on now. You can watch things online on your computer. But back then, cable TV was was at its infancy. I mean, there were local channels, and there was this startup thing called cable TV, which was in certain areas. 
Um, you guys started very modestly. I mean, you were not in very many homes, <laughs> That's right? the nicest way I've heard it said. We, <laughs> we went, this is a true story. We went, I did the first show with Lee Leonard. And I had been working at CBS, and Scotty asked me to come in. They had hoped to have Jim Simpson, the veteran NBC broadcaster, do the first show. But Jim couldn't get out of his NBC contract. So Scotty called me and said, would you come up and do the first show? You know, we're, we're really not ready to go. Um, we had a contract. We had two contracts, one with the NCAA, which provided and allowed us to do five football games a weekend on a tape delay broadcast. ABC had the regular football, college right. football package. We started at midnight on Saturday airing five football games. We had one advertising contract. It was Anheuser-Busch for $5 million. That's all we had. And the building wasn't ready. And Anheuser-Busch and the NCAA said, if you don't go on the air in September 7th, then you lose both of us. And we, we never would have started. So we go there, and um, the building that we broadcast from was not ready. No glass on the windows. The actual broadcast came out of remote trucks that were outside the, the studio. We were sitting in the studio with the doors open and flies and everything coming in. In fact, we had, after a couple of days, we had a McDonald's up the road, and we had a big trash can, and in the middle of one show, in came a skunk, while, right oh, while we're on. doing the show and, and digging through the trash can, looking for something to eat. Never, oh. Nobody moved. Nobody moved. Heck, Skunk got what he no. wanted and took off. Heck, and no. Lee Leonard almost died that day. But, <laughs> so we, we had to go on the air, but we didn't know whether, you know, what we would have and what would happen. Um, it was the, the best part of it, and the first four or five years were the same. Um, I mean, everything was ad-libbed. Everything was seat of the pants, and everything was a joy. It's kind of like what we do with the Reds over all these years. Yeah. Uh, we love the people that we worked with. Uh, Lee Leonard and I, Lou Palmer was there at the beginning. Uh, Bob Lee came a short time after that, and Tom Meese, and then Chris Berman came a few months after that. And all of us, um, had a we had a camaraderie that was, it, it existed today. I oh, mean, I, are you kidding? <clears throat> you guys started an institution I mean, as big as ESPN is now. Um, to think of the way it started, and you were... I mean, you didn't even have, I mean, the doors are, are open and skunks are coming in. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that's tremendous. We, the first, we finally got Jim Simpson about three months in. They, got, they let him off his contract. It was sometime in early 1980. And the first show I did with him, the doors are still open. And Jim comes in and sits down and we're sitting at the Sports Center desk. And there, there's this big horse fly. That as the camera, it like it, it took the camera <laughs> angles as, as every time the camera came to me, it came to me and it came to Jim. And the, Jim is getting bothered by this. It hits his shoulder. It hits his nose. It hits his ear. I, <laughs> you know, you couldn't you couldn't make this stuff up. It was yeah. uh, it was pretty neat. And, and those friendships have endured to today. People who met their spouses there. Mm -hmm. Kids have been born. Uh, and we still get together two, three, four times a year and, and have reunions that, that are just a joy. This, uh, you said the 40th anniversary. Are you guys going to actually do a sports center? I know you've done that in the past with Berman. Yeah, they're uh, still going, they're still not decided. I know we're going to do a, a show. They're going to tape something. Mm -hmm. And depending on my schedule, and, and I know Chris is going to be there. I'm, I told them I would do it, but only if I did it with Chris or Bob Lee, which was similar yeah. to the 30th. They, they wanted to come up, and I said, you know, I'll, you know, I'll do it. But I, number one, no teleprompters. And number two, I want to do it with Chris or Bob. And they, No teleprompters. They acquiesced wow. to that. And yeah. the funny thing was, Norby Williamson, who 
who I hired back in the 80s and now uh, runs SportsCenter, um, uh, called me the Tuesday after we did the show, which was on a Sunday. He said, I got good news and bad news. The good news is it was our highest rated show of the summer. The bad news, and all the guys want to go back to doing it that way. The bad news is we're programming to 15-year-olds, and they don't, they don't want to buy that. So we ain't going to do it. <laughs> so. Well, I mean, when I do Red's Live postgame uh, on the set, a lot of people think I'm reading off a teleprompter, but there's no scripts. There's no really no format. I got someone in my ear telling me where we're going, and there's no teleprompter whatsoever. Um, so I, I can't imagine, though, back then – there had to be hours. I mean, you guys were on for hours and hours. Well, the, and there, there. How much ad libbing and how much time did you just have to fill just talking? But that was it. I mean, you could do it because you do your homework, and that was what what I wanted. Uh, the people, uh, when when Scotty asked me to come in after the first night, we sat down. He said, "Look, would you come here full time?" And I said, "I'm at CBS. I'm just ready to move in." I was doing post-game and pre-game to the NFL and mm-hmm. the, the College World Series and the golf and the tennis. So I was one step away from starting to make a mark there. And I thought about it. I said, you know, I would never be able to do duplicate that here. So I came as senior announcer, and what I did was we looked for people, young people, that had never done this before. So we taught everybody how to do something that had never been done wow, before. Yeah. We didn't have people that came in or that were used to teleprompters or that were used to doing two minutes of sports a night. We came in to, with people that cared about sports. And we would sit there, you know, it, it, we might be four, four minutes short in a sports center and the producer would say, talk about the National League for four minutes. So we talk about the night, yeah. and if if you hadn't done your homework, right. you couldn't do it. Yeah, that was the joy of what we did. Right. Um, you know, and it, for all of us, I mean, we all had a dream. We had a dream of what ESPN might be, could be. We used to have Monday meetings, and Chet Simmons always told us, guys, you know, someday we're going to have the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, Major League Baseball, but we don't have it now. But what we do have is Sports Center, and none of them have Sports Center. So what, when we get those, we're going to be better than them because we'll have something that they never had. Yeah. And he, he proved to be right on the money. Wow. No question about that. Uh, in the infant <clears throat> days, you guys covered some unique sports, did you not? I mean, you, <laughs> I remember you telling me a story. You were on a boat with uh, covering the America's Cup. It was oh, yeah. just you and a, a camera. and uh, we did, We'd had Australian rules football. Yeah. We used to do boxing. I'd go to Uppy Dar- Upper Darby, Pennsylvania, and, and tape 24 consecutive half-hour boxing shows. Oh. We, did, we did the America. I had covered the America's Cup before mm-hmm. I went to ESPN, so I knew people up there. And Jeff Israel was our cameraman. The two of us, I, I had a friend that had a boat. We, he had a fishing boat. So we went out of the fishing boat to cover. All we could do, basically, I rented the fishing boat for about half of what the going rate was, which I think was like $200. And we used that video for the whole length of the America's Cup. We slowed it down and whatever. Cause we, didn't have, you know, <laughs> we, didn't have any, we didn't have the money to cover it. That's yeah. how we covered it. And we went out. This is when it was in Newport. Uh, that's where right. it was until the, the United States lost and it, it left there. We went out in the boat. It was a choppy day. And Jeff is filming in the back of the boat. And all of a sudden, you know, I go back to look for him and he's not there. And I'm thinking, oh, my God, the camera's on the, on the deck and there's no Jeff Israel. I said, what the heck happened? He must have fallen overboard. 
And I'm thinking, I'm, and I'm telling the story now, I'm starting to get goosebumps. Uh, I said, what am I going to tell his wife, Pat? How am I going to explain this? You know, what? We lost our cameraman. He died in, in, in Newport, Rhode Island. So I went back. I said, no way, maybe he's down below. So I go down below and I open the door, look in, he's not there. Now I retrace my steps and I go to the captain and I, I said, hold, slow down, slow down. And I come back. So it turns out the head, the bathroom was behind the door as you went down. And he was sick to his stomach. He was in the bathroom throwing uh -huh. up. But when I opened the door to look in there, you didn't see him. So for about 15 minutes, I thought I lost one of my best friends, Jeff Israel. And we still laugh about that. And you, know, you talk about, you know, being lucky is better than being good. That's when Dennis Connor won the the, uh, yeah. the America's Cup. There were two docks in uh, Newport. One dock was where all the media was set up, and you had to pay for a spot on it. And we didn't have any money, so we couldn't set up on that dock. We set up on the opposite dock. Dennis Connors wins, and he comes in with his boat, and I wave to him, and he waves to me, and he comes over to our dock. So we got the the first interview with Dennis Conner after he wins the America's Cup, and wow. all the other guys, the networks, yeah. and everybody are sitting on the other side yelling and swearing at us. So, I mean, that, uh, Ted, Ted Turner was there at that time, too. Yeah. He had a boat that was in the competition and lost. Uh, but wow. it was uh, th that, those were the early days. Uh, you had no idea. It was a magic carpet ride. You were flying by the seat of your pants, but it was fun. It was a lot of fun. How many times did you, when you went and covered an event, particularly early, where they're like, you're from what? E what is ESPN? Well, the first Could you imagine someone saying, now what oh, is yeah. ESPN? They had no idea. We went to uh, Pasadena for the first Super Bowl, which was 1980, Pittsburgh and the Rams. And um, uh, Greg Wade was our cameraman that time. Greg and I went, and that was the, the era when you had a, cam a, a camera, and then a tape deck and it was connected by a cord. So I carried the camera and he carried, I carried the tape oh, deck, yeah. he carried the camera. We're going through the crowd. Three quarter inch tape. Yep, oh, the whole yeah. thing. And we, we, we couldn't feed our stuff. We had to put it uh, on a plane to send it back to Bristol and then they edited it back in Bristol. That's how archaic this was. We're going through the crowd, and people are coming up. ESPN is that Espanol broadcasting? <laughs> yeah. We had the we had one remote truck at that time, and um, Chet and Scotty came out, and Pete Rozelle was the commissioner, and we had the NFL owners meetings take place during the Super Bowl. Mm -hmm. So we had two cameras on the truck, and we had the tape deck that we use. There was no tape deck for the second one, so I, you know, I, I said, Scotty, Chet, what do you want us to do? He's, and Chet says, Well, do this put the camera on a, on a tripod and put it outside the NFL owners' meetings so they see this every time they come in and out. You know, I mean, he just wants to sh show yeah. the name. So we do that. <laughs> and the, the day that they still have it, the commissioner does his address to the media. Yeah. Pete Rosell comes out with Val Pinchback. And we're, Chet and Scotty and I are standing there. And he comes out and he goes up to Chet. He had worked with him at NBC for years because Chet ran NBC Sports and Scotty had done production there. Gives him a big hug. He says, God, you guys are doing a great job. I love ESPN. I'm watching it all the time. I watch college football all fall long. But what the heck are you guys going to do in the spring and the summer? And Chet looked at him and says, well, we're thinking of doing the NFL draft. That's one of the things we're thinking of doing. And, he, and Pete starts to laugh. He's yeah. like, you got to be kidding. Who wants to watch the NFL draft? And Val Pinchback was the director of broadcasting. He came out with him, was standing there. And, he, you know, he kind of laughed, smirked a little bit too. And Pete, we said a few more words. And Roselle walks away. And Val looks at, Scott, at Scotty and Chet. And he says, Chet, 
you're serious about this, aren't you? And Chet says, yeah, we think we can do it and we can have some fun with it. Of course, he had a built-in audience. All the college fans who watched our games were interested in where their players are going to go in the oh, draft. Yeah. So that was the genesis of our coverage of the wow. NFL draft. And uh, in the span of a couple of weeks, Val Pinchback, it was Val Pinchback who, who really convinced Pete Rosell to do it. Uh, and Chet and Scotty worked it out, and then we eventually, in April, did the NFL draft for the first time in 1980. And I anchored that for the first six years. So to think of how big the NFL draft now, I yep. mean, now they're fighting over it. Now we've exactly. got more than one network. And uh, Pete Rosell laughed at the idea yeah. of doing it. And you hosted <laughs> the first ones. I mean, that was uh, back then it was just, I mean, now they've got their war rooms and there's so much technology, but it was basically people calling in right or yeah we had no and we had no I took every Tuesday before the draft every Tuesday afternoon starting in September that was my NFL draft day and I went over college teams and and the NFL teams I did a show too was called the NFL line by line I did it with Paul McGuire and Terry Hanratty and we would sit and go over in preparation for the draft and that was it. I mean, we had, I mean, there was very little graphics, very little video. It was just a bunch of people talking. We sat down at six in the morning and you got up at, at six at night um, and you talked. And now it's such a multi-produced oh, and multi-faceted now. production. Yeah. But you had no idea what you were going to use of all that information. Yeah. But if you, it's like doing a game, uh, you know, as we all find out in mm-hmm. baseball. You know, We all go down and, and sit in the clubhouse, go to the batting cage. You pick up tidbits of information. You don't know when you use it. Sometimes you use it tonight, sometimes next week. Sometimes I've, I've had tidbits that I've had, and I, 10 years later I used it when yeah. it recalled in your mind at the right time. And I think that's one of the biggest keys of our business. I've sat with guys that have done games, and they had a list of 10 or 12 things that they were going to get in in the game, and they check them off as we went down the line with no care as to whether it was apropos to what was going on right. in the field. you got to have it, you know, you can have computers and look at your computers. The computer here between your ears yeah. is the one that's important. And when the time is right to tell a story about a player, right. that's when you tell it, not when the player's sitting on the bench or that when somebody else is on the field. You don't know when or where that'll come. Um, and it was a great lesson for me because I, I did so much homework. And I, by the time NFL Draft Day came, I probably used 2 or 3% of the homework that I had done. Wow. Well, who, who was on the first NFL Draft with you? Uh, Paul Zimmerman. Uh, Miss Dr. Z from Sports Dr. Illustrated Z. was big. Yeah. And Joe Thomas was the, uh, the uh, general manager of the Baltimore Colts. And Joe Thomas and Paul Zim and Zim and I were, were there. And we had a, a Howard Balzer was from the Sporting News. He yeah. did baseball and football for them. When did Kuiper come along? Mel what? came, he came about, oh, four, four or five years later. We had Frank Ross did most yeah. of our, our, uh, our graphic stuff. Kuiper came about four or five years later. Wow. The NFL, you know, I, I don't know why I'd blocked that out of my mind, but I forgot that you hosted the first NFL draft as yeah, well. I did the, which is, did the first three or four. And yeah. then uh, basically the, the great thing about what we did, uh, we had, um, I love baseball. So I really gravitated to baseball. Mm-hmm. I covered the Major League Baseball, college baseball. Lou Palmer loved golf. So I 
pushed him into the golf rung. He spent time with you know Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicklaus because he loved the game of golf. Tom Meese loved the NHL. Tom was our guy with the NHL. Bob Lee loved college basketball, mm-hmm. so he got to do college basketball. Chris Berman loved the NFL. He got to do the NFL. Now, so we, you were able to make decisions back there. You were a decision maker as well. I was a senior announcer. Yeah. I, wow. So I I. Not, we did it in concert with each yeah. other, but what, we all did sports centers. Well, there's no script. You guys were no. You guys were just uh, inventing it as you go. We went. We had a meeting every Monday morning with Chet Simmons, Scotty Connell, Jim mm-hmm. Dullahan, who was the financial guy, and Bobby Polito was uh, there too. And we would look at the next week and the next couple of weeks, you know, and decide what direction we were going in. But um, they pretty much left left us to our own devices and what I tried to do was we all did sports centers we all did some of the sevens and some of the elevens and some of the two AMs and we all got to do the things we loved yeah. to do and little by little everybody had their little niche the two AMs though was that punishment no that's what I'm saying <laughs> we all we all realized we, all it. we rotated it wasn't yeah. like there was a and I, this is where I mean I, I differed very much with the when there was the changeover and ABC came in and bought ESPN and they, they started the star concept yeah. Where they put the stars on the seven o'clock, and mm-hmm. we, I deliberately rotated people, so yeah. we all had to do the two a.m. And you know, you talked about it before. You know, it was like Nirvana. You know, you do local TV sports. You have two or three minutes at six, yeah. and two or three minutes at eleven. Been there, done that. We had an hour at seven, an hour at eleven, and an hour at two or two thirty. In between, we did all the updates. The, the Sports Center updates were really there to keep the network on time. Mm-hmm. So if a show went short and it's, it was supposed to go till 9 and went to 8.25, you were on for 35 minutes with a Sports Center update. So not only did you do, you usually did at least two hours of the three shows, but you probably did an hour of updates. So in the span of one night, you did more on-air work than you did in a month of local TV. So, I mean, that talk about a all growing no experience for, oh, for all those young guys. No doubt. And I, I started in local uh, news and did three, three-and-a-half-minute sportscasts. We would do a half-an-hour show a, a week on Sunday nights. But, um, you know, now when you're sitting on the set, it just like you said, it's like, hey, you got to fill three or four minutes here. Uh, just start talking. When you're waiting for the post-game sound to get to the set and it's not there, hey, and you're just sitting there, it's like, all right. Got to fill three minutes here. And to think of three-minute sportscasts, I'm like, wow, that'd be pretty easy now. That's not demeaning anyone um, that's in that business because it, it's uh, particularly much harder now because they have less resources to do it. And they're, they're cramming in, you know, 10, 12 stories, and they've got to go around the city uh, all day. We had a lot it. of guys that joined us from local TV that wanted mm-hmm. to, you know, thought this would be kind of neat. And they came in, and you'd sit down and, and you know, like – we very seldom had scripts. We, you know, we had a lead into a tape. You know, we'd say, you know, GG lead into uh, Reds against Astros, uh, VO VTR, voiceover, voiceover, the VTR. Because is you're the writing tape. this at seven o'clock. The game hasn't even been played yet. Right. So that's all it said. So you had yeah. to ad lib the intro. Then you got a highlight sheet with the the highlight shot. On it. Sheet, sometimes shot you got sheet, it. Yeah. Sometimes you didn't. But if somebody came from local TV where they're used to doing two minutes. And all of it's on a teleprompter. You'd sit down, and there was that moment of panic as they sat down at yeah. the desk in the in the sports center area, yep. saying, "Well, um, where, 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 where's the script? <laughs> exactly. so we don't have a script. We don't have a script. <laughs> Those are the guys that only lasted like one or two shows, and they said goodbye. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. Wow, I, I just can't imagine 
Um, thinking of what ESPN is now and you guys sitting down and having no programming and having to program seven days a week, 24 hours a day with, uh, and you don't know where you're going. I, I just, it's tremendous. It's a tremendous story and the, that you were a part of it is, uh, is unbelievable to me. I, mean, I think the best part of the story are the people, yeah. you know, we all had a dream. We all had a vision and we all had a magic carpet ride going through that. Uh, we didn't know how successful ESPN would be. We knew it could be, but we enjoyed each other. You know, we our, you know, and, and our goal, and it's the same thing when I do is sit down with Chris to do a game. My goal is to have the guy next to me look as good as I can help to make him look. Mm-hmm. Now, that means sometimes you debate something, but sometimes you, you, know, you agree on things. But the point is, it's never one upsmanship. And I think what ESPN became for a while was two guys sitting there trying to outright each other because everything was on teleprompter. Yeah. and Catchphrases. I, yep. You could come up with the catchphrase. And it, it, the idea of that being, I've got something more clever than you. So yeah. now the next guy tries to be more clever than you were. Right. And the bottom line is, and I try to tell all the guys, I still tell young people that get into broadcasting, there might be one or two times during a broadcast, whether it's Sports Center or your local news or a game, where you lean in and you hit a point and you follow up on that point. But not every batter, not every inning. You don't have to have an opinion on everything because people, Vince Scully always taught me, he said, never second guess, always first guess. Uh, and I was fortunate to be a gopher for him while I was playing at USC. And what he meant by that was, if, say, you know, um, um, uh, Senzel gets on, Votto's up. Senzel gets a single. Now, the options are you could have him steal, you could hit and run, you could bunt. You're not going to bunt with Joey Votto, but the options are these. Yeah. Not wait until you say nothing and then Joey Votto hits into a 4-6-3 double play and you say, well, you know, he probably should have sent the runner or he probably should have hit right. and run. So, you know, if you – set the stage for something, then you have first guess. You haven't second guess. So you give people at home an idea, okay, maybe he should do this or maybe he should do that. So the, the idea is to involve the people at home and let them think about what might be the best play, whether it's baseball or football or basketball or whatever. Baseball, of course, lends itself more to that than any other sport because there are options and uh, tactics and strategy mm-hmm. that no other sport has. Um, but it's important um, to pick your spots, I think, not to be overly impressive with who you are, what you are, and what you have to say, but let the person next to you breathe and let the people at home breathe too. You, the, the people that you have come in contact with and worked with over your career is incredible. And you mentioned right there, Vince Gulley, when you were at USC, you were pretty much a gopher for him, but I mean, you want to talk about an influence on the business. I mean, uh, how best. much of an influence on you was he? Uh, he was the best. Um, we were at USC freshman year. We always played an exhibition game in January at Dodger Stadium mm-hmm. where the SC baseball team would come over and it would be a media day for the Dodgers, and we'd play a game. And I'm out of shortstop, and my coach, Rod Dato, who was a mentor of mine my whole life, um, was behind the batting cage with Vin Scully. 
And he whistled in for me, Tiger, come on in. And I come running in. He says, Tiger? <laughs> Tiger. That's what he called everybody, Tiger. Oh, okay. I thought, he called, I thought, not just me. I thought I had missed a nickname over no. the years. What? Oh, he called me yeah. Rio El Rancho Grande. That's what he called me. <laughs> Rio? <laughs> the Rio El, Grand River. Yeah, Rio El Rancho Grande. I'm going to have to use that on the air. So we're behind. He, he's behind a batting cage, and he says, Ben, this young man is interested. And Ben and he were like brothers. This young man's interested in broadcasting, and Ben says, "Well, give me a call." And <laughs> I did. And he was doing the games with Jerry Doggett at that time. They mm-hmm. did the games for like fifty years together. Right. Jerry was the best. And so I, you know, I I cleaned up the booth. I ripped the wires. I got him coffee or tea or whatever whenever I could while I was in school and and playing ball. Right. Um, so I got to know him as a man. He mentored me not just in baseball and broadcasting, but he mentored me about life. Wow. And I learned so much from him. And for me, it was, um, it's been a lifelong friendship, uh, just as my friendship with Rod Dato was. It was right. He's a pretty special guy. The best that's ever done baseball by far, plus a wonderful human being to match that. Yeah, man, what a voice. <laughs> I mean, just so distinctive. And for him in later years to do the games by himself, oh, I yep. mean, he's, he's doing color. He's doing uh, human interest stories. He's calling mm. the game. Uh, just uh, amazing, and, and you know he always had he had such a joy for the game. Yeah, that you know he taught me something else too. He'd be home, and he said one thing I can tell you is don't don't listen or watch other people. Watch the game, and and get to know the people of the game, honor the game, mm-hmm. uh, because you want to be who you are and what you are. Don't copy who someone else is. Yeah, um, and it, it and f- and he always had a joy. I mean, I'll never forget, and you'll remember this. Scott Sullivan, who was one of my favorite Reds Sully. of all time. I, in fact, I talked to Sully, Sully last week. Cause Rubber Aub- arm of all time. Yep, the, the under underhanded yeah. motion. And Auburn got in the College World Series, mm-hmm. and he's a big, still a big Auburn fan. But Sully used to come to a stretch as a right-handed pitcher. And he, most pitchers would to look at the plate. When he checked the runner at first, now picture this if you're at home now. You, you're a right-handed pitcher. You come to a set on the mound. He looked over his right shoulder the shoulder that faced second base, that's how he would check the runner at first. Not move off your left shoulder. Yeah. And, and the first time he pitched the Dodger Stadium, Vin comes running in from, from his dugout, from his uh, broadcast booth. We're in the next broadcast booth. He says, George, I've never seen that before. Does he do this all the time? I mean, that's, that's Vin Scully. You know, wow. he, he's got his eyes. He says, yeah. and he, he says, I've never seen that. And the next day, he goes down and talks to Sully and asks him, why do you do that? And for Sully, for him it was easier. And it also kept him straight so that he didn't open up. He didn't open his left shoulder towards first base. But that was Vin Scully. You yeah. know, he saw something that he had never seen before. And he came running in the booth during the commercial break. Amazing. It's amazing that uh, you – not amazing, but it's cool that you said be yourself because um, – you know, I've met Vin a few times, but he wouldn't know me from the next guy. But I had always listened to interviews of him. And that's one thing he said uh, is listen to people that are calling the game, but don't try to be like this. Yep. Just learn about the craft, but don't try to be like them. You have to be yourself. Um, and, you know, I've had different roles. So you got to be, I've got to be different on the post game show. Certainly got to be different. And when I'm doing sidelines, that's more human interest and you try to bring some humor into it. Uh, but now, you know, calling games in the booth, which is really hard, by the way. Hey, you're doing <laughs> you, a great job. Well, no, you're doing it's really a hard, job. by the way. Um, 
I just set out to like, you know what? I, I got to be myself. I can't be like Marty yeah, Brennan. Right. I can't be like Tom Brennan. And there's no way I'm going to be like George Grant. Uh, I just got to be myself. Yep. Uh, and that came from Vince Gully. Yep. Um, and I've never forgot when he said that. Never, ever. I tell you, it's funny. We you know, I we interviewed him over the years, every not every year, but usually every other year. And he talked about the Reds and the Dodgers rivalry and whatever. And the year he retired, um, I went in to do an interview with mm-hmm. him. And I sat in his booth. And we're our, the cameraman that we have in L.A. that's always with us is yeah. in there. And so we're sitting at his desk. And, you know, I thanked him for everything he did for me. And we talked about Reds baseball and the Dodgers. And he turned the, the tables on me. He said, well, what, I said, thanks for teaching me so much about baseball and life. He said, what was the most important thing I taught you? And I said, well, you really want to know? <clears throat> and we're sitting on his desk um, looking, facing our backs are to the, to the ball field. And I said, well, you told me early on when you start to do a game and you have your cup of coffee or your cup of tea, make sure that you don't put that next to your scorebook. Because he did games with Jerry Coleman. And Jerry Coleman was histrionic. His arms are going. And once Jerry Coleman knocked over the the coffee all over Vin's scorebook and ruined his scorebook. So he said... What I said, what you told me was you take that cup of coffee and you put it on the floor next to your foot. And as I'm saying that, the cameraman pans out and right next to Vin Scully's foot is his cup of tea. That's <laughs> which awesome. was kinda, it was pretty neat. And he started to laugh. We both yeah. laughed about it. But Oh, <laughs> so. hey man, the scorebook is precious. Yeah. I, I've learned that. And in yeah. fact, mine is, <clears throat> it's funny you say that, mine is stained this year. Yeah. Someone yeah. spilled some coffee mm. on it. So on the side of it is like coffee stains and you just, you the, just gotta live the with it. Two best scorebook stories, the Vin Scully story, the other one was with Scooter, Phil Rizzuto and WW? WW. And I still have I still That's have a score shot. That's the greatest. <laughs> Explain this to okay, people. Okay, we're I'm doing a game with Scooter and Scooter at that point he would he would do Phil six, Rizzuto we're talking here. Phil Rizzuto when yeah. I did the Yankee games with Tom Seaver and Phil Rizzuto, Scooter would do six innings, so he'd have three innings off. And he'd come back and say he did the first three. Then he'd come back after uh, just four, or five, about and WW. six. And he sits next to me. And, and the, we're early on, the first year I'm doing games with him. And, and I'm looking over and I said, I said, in Scooter would go, he'd have a cup of coffee yeah. with a little Zambuca in it and have a cannoli or whatever. And he'd come back. And sometimes everybody wanted to talk to him. So he'd be mm-hmm. talking. So we sit down. And I said, I'm, I'm missing a strikeout here, Scooter. What do you got? I'm looking over at his scorebook, and I look at it. Because everyone relies on it and a bat. Like, hey, sure. what did such and such do in the yeah, third? Sometimes I forgot to write it down. You yeah. know, you're talking to somebody off camera right, or whatever, right. and you miss a 4-3 to three, or you miss a 6-4-3 yeah. double play. I said, I'm short one strikeout. And I look over at Scooter's scorebook, and it's, he's got 4-3 to three strikeout. And then WW. I said, Scooter, what's WW? So what do you mean? I said, what's WW on your scorebook? Wasn't watching. <laughs> <laughs> and now at the end of every night, when you looked at his scorebook, he probably had about seven or eight oh, bet, WWs yeah. in it. Yeah, that'll bring up such and such. He's, um, well, he's got two hits and a WW. WW. <laughs> That is crazy. Amazing. He was oh, the best. He the was w- the best. W- I've, I've almost written that into a scorebook just uh, to get Chris Welsh to laugh because he, he knows that story well. It's a, He's yeah. the best. He, yeah. he was the best. We had so many great moments, fun moments. I did the games with he and Tom Seaver when Scooter got into the Hall of Fame. Tom, I mean, Rizzuto and Tom Seaver. I mean, listen to these names you drop. 
Yeah. It's unbelievable. The Seaver was a teammate of mine at USC, so we, yeah. well, we went back a long yeah, way. Yeah, how? But, but we, we, when he, Scooter got in, Tom and I are sitting at the Otisaga Hotel in Cooperstown mm-hmm. on the veranda the night before having a glass of wine. And he looked at me, I looked at him, and he said to me, he said, you know, you and I are the only two people in America that know what everybody's in for when Scooter starts talking tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> and he talked, it was like Euchre. He talked for yeah. about 25 minutes and everybody oh, was yeah. laughing. <laughs> at USC, uh, let's see, uh, Tom Seaver as a teammate. Yeah. Um, you told me that you took some classes from some very famous people. Did you not? Oh, yeah. I, I mean, we were, that was, I was. Uh, Who did you tell me? You told me. This well, I had one class from Robert Wise, the great director. I had yeah. another class from Jerry Lewis. Jerry Lewis. Who taught us right, a class. We were just doing the, the telethon. That's yep. right. I brought up Jerry Lewis. Should I, should I sing here at the end? And you're like, I took a class from Jerry Lewis. I'm like, goodness gracious. Who haven't you met her? Stan Freeberg, the great commercial guy who had all the funny commercials. Um, we had a, a thing. Rod Serling had a, a, a You took a, a class from, from Rod, Rod Serling? Serling? Yep. Oh in fact, gosh. he brought in everybody from Hollywood. He brought in the mamas and papas. He brought in Mama Cass one day. And I, it, was, it was like a, a cast of thousands. It was pretty neat. Pretty neat. Wow. Uh, and uh, we haven't got to the Reds yet. But all those years, you hosted the Hall of Fame, the National Baseball Hall of Fame induction ceremony. And the the amount of Hall of Famers that you've been around is that where does that rank? That you how many years did you host? By the thirty, way? I, I hosted I mean, it for thirty. I was I, and even before that, I was there a number of times. But I hosted the ceremonies for thirty years, which was for me a, it was a wonderful gift. Where does uh, that rank? Oh, that's I mean, in terms of not not doing the ceremonies, but the personal relationships. Yeah. It's at it's at the top of the mountain because it you has get to, to know. Be. Joe well, DiMaggio the, and Ted yeah. Williams oh, and you know gosh. Lefty Gomez and people like that and you know and and certainly not the least of which were the Reds people. Yeah. Um, I mean, I marveled every year because you know a lot of Hall of Famers go up there, and we have a a dinner on Friday night that's informal, a formal dinner on Saturday night, then the ceremonies on Sunday, and the Friday night dinner was special in that nobody had to dress up. You had your families there. It was usually in outside in a big tent. And all the people, many Hall of Famers were kind of off on their own. The Reds group was always together. You know, you get Sparky Anderson, Joe Morgan, Johnny Bench, Tony Perez, Hal McCoy, Marty Brenneman, whoever was there that was part of the Reds family and a Hall of Famer would always sit together. And they'd start, you know, Tony Perez would get on Bench and Bench would get on Morgan and they'd go back and forth. And everybody in the room or the the area would look and laugh because there was something special. Not just on the field was there something special about the Reds. There was something special off the field, too. And, you know, every year was something different. I mean, everybody who who got inducted, they were always the stars of that weekend. But it was just, for me, it was getting to know the families, getting to know the wives, the kids. You know, I still, I just did a, a banquet the other day and Rachel Robinson, we honored Sharon Robinson, Rachel's mm-hmm. daughter. And uh, at that point, uh, Rachel and Roxy Campanella was, was alive at the time. And every year, we had a dinner on Saturday night, and only the Hall of Famers and their families were there. And I would go from table to table and say something about each Hall of Famer, and everybody would applaud. And I always looked in the corner at the same table, Roxy Campanella, 
you know, who certainly nurtured her husband, who was, you know, wheelchair ridden for most of his life and always had a smile on his face. And Rachel Robinson. And I always would acknowledge them. They got the biggest ovation of the night almost every single year because they everybody in that room respected what they did for their husbands Mm -hmm. what they did for the game and how they they always did it with a smile yeah and i think for me the greatest thing was you know to get to know not just tony perez but to spend time with patuka you know not Mm -hmm. to get to know uh, johnny bench but to watch bobby grow up and now bobby is is headlining johnny's catcher of the year award right. he's grown up so much he's he, he's he's a man and he's a successful man right you know go down the list tom seaver good kid Bobby. good kid yeah tom seaver and his two daughters to watch them grow up and get married you go down the list you know you watch dimaggio and williams and you know sandy koufax and stan musial all these guys come with you know stan and lil you know were lil had had ill health Stan took care of her, and you saw the the love that they had. Bobby Doerr, his wife was in a wheelchair. He pushed her around Cooperstown in a wheelchair. So you got to know them as men, as people, and the friendships, those friendships I think I cherish more than anything because you got to know them as men, as as people who were so successful in what they did on the field, yes, but even more importantly, how they were as people. Could you have ever imagined, you said that you were at shortstop and they called you in to meet Vince Scully. Hey, this this kid's in, interested in broadcasting. <laughs> Could you have ever imagined at that moment the amount of people that you would meet? Um, no, but you know, my mom and dad always told me, work hard, have fun, good things will happen. <clears throat> Whatever, whether you're playing sports or in school or working at a job. And my dad always told me, don't worry about your next job. Do the job that you're you're assigned to now and have fun doing it and always respect people and Vin always told me respect the game but my dad always told me always respect people and always look for the good in people now if they wrong you or they cross you fine you put that in your memory bank but give them the opportunity and you know you and I have talked about this with different people we get players that come in here all the time and they have a reputation Mm -hmm. I'll always give a guy the chance you know, to show who he is or what he really is. And if he screws up and he lies or he cheats or he doesn't treat people the way he should, you put a check next to that guy and fine. But if he doesn't, then you treat him. I've got people that I've had, you know, Barry Bonds is a great example of that. You know, I knew Barry because I knew his dad, Bobby. And Barry made some mistakes, yes. We all agree to that. But down at the heart of who he is, there's something special about him. And a lot of people had trouble with him. I knew him as a kid. I watched him through college. I got to know him. Uh, he never crossed me. He never refused an interview. He never, um, you know, big league me. Uh, if he did, then he goes on that list. Uh, whereas in the same respect, we've had guys that come through that come up from the minor leagues, right, that we've seen, and they think oh, they're big leaguers. There and, is no right, doubt you, about it. You put it. that on your list. and Not that you – forget it. Turn mm-hmm. it. That's fine. See you later. Yeah. You know, and I think – my dad always told me, enjoy people, enjoy the people you work with, the people you're around, and you'll have a lot of fun in life. And for me, I think that's it. So it's not so much, I mean, I have as many fond memories of all of us and the crew that we work with. I mean, sitting in the booth with Jim Strickler and Jesse Jackson, you know, and Dickie Moss for so many yeah. years, you know, down the list, you know, Mark Wagner, who's no longer with right. us. And we sat, it was like a family. Mm-hmm. And so those friendships are just as important. You know, Chris and I were fortunate. I mean, his mom and dad, I cherished. His dad and I had a great relationship to watch his kids grow up. 
That's what it's about to, to watch you and, you know, you're married and you have a family. That That's what it's all about. I yeah. mean, what we do professionally, who cares? You know, what we do, what awards you win, how much money you make, what jobs you have, who cares? But the people that you cross paths with and the, the enjoyment that you have of watching them grow and succeed, um, that's what's fun about life. Yeah. And, you know, we do that with our kids. We do that with our friends. And you do that with your coworkers. Well, I... <clears throat> At times, a full disclosure to people, there are times that I've needed like a dose of George Grand because there have been times that you have set me straight about certain things. There are times that you have taught me certain things about how to be professional, certainly how to treat people. Um, and these recent years, I haven't been around you as much. At all. And I even said something to someone the other day, you know what? I think I need a dose of George Grand because uh, <laughs> no, you're doing great. You're I'm I'm so proud of all you're accomplishing, everything you have accomplished, and all you're you're doing now. It's uh, and that's what you know. This is a team. I mean, we've always yeah. had a team here, and every place we've been, it's it's being successful. We just had the Johnny Bench Catchers Award today, mm-hmm. and and the one thing they asked me to say a few words, and I looked at the the eight high school kids who were there and the two college winners, and I said, look, you know, the most important thing in your life is be the best that you can be. Be the best teammate you could be. Mm-hmm. Be the best son you could be. Be the best brother or sister. Be the best husband or wife. You know, there were softball players. There were girls and boys both there. You know, that's what life is about. It's being, being treating people the way you right. wanted to be treated and, and be a good teammate. And yeah. I think that's true in life off the field and on the field too. I can't let this go by. You mentioned uh, Barry Bonds, and there, <laughs> and you're right about him never turning down an interview with you. This was awesome because they came to town, and it was the height of the controversy of him with PEDs, and he was not doing interviews with anyone. There were national networks that were chasing him. There were national writers that were chasing him. He wouldn't talk to the local writers. And we come out one day and you're in the Giants dugout and you're interviewing Barry Bonds. And I'll never forget the all the writers, the national writers, the local writers like, what's the deal? Who's this guy? How is he getting how is he getting Barry Bonds right now? Because he's not talking to anyone. But he talked to you. Well, I mean, part of that is again about relationships. Yeah. You know, and I think the one thing that I've always done, I mean, I've been part of USA Baseball for 30 years. the only years. time I've seen you tick people off, by the way. Sorry to interrupt. <laughs> <laughs> you usually don't make people mad. That's the only time I've ever seen people mad at you. <laughs> I, I, I think, you know, I've been I've been fortunate to be like a, in a, a number of settings. Number one, I've done rookie development for 24 years where every team sends its top rookies uh, to Lansdowne Convention Center in Virginia every January for a week. And I'm with these kids before they become major leaguers. Yeah. I get to know them. We talk about how to deal with the media. We talk about how to deal with teammates. <clears throat> the work I do with USA Baseball, um, you know, we have our Golden Spikes Award. We have our national teams. And so many of the guys that we see coming through here, um, I went to the Astros clubhouse yesterday, and there's like half a dozen guys that I've been close with on our national team. So yeah. you get to know them just like you do. You go to spring training. Well, and you, you get to know our guys before they come up here so that it's not like... Well, the, you taught you, me that. Well, that's... You taught... Well, we, you said you get to them early. Yep. 
And at good in Goodyear, Arizona, they have the major league fields in the front. They have the back fields, which are the minor leagues. And yep. I will tell myself, all right, I got to go to the back fields. That's the joy. Yeah, it really. I got to go to the back fields. I got to meet the, like a guy like Nick Senzel. You yep. know, early on, you know, started talking to Nick Senzel. Now he's open. You know, yep. opens up to me. We talk all the time. Um, and you taught me that. It's like get to them early. Don't wait till they get to the big leagues yeah. because it's a different story it, yeah. when they get there. Yeah, you know? no, ab- absolutely. And the earlier the better. Sometimes it's college. Sometimes it's a minor league. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's you know when they get here. But um, and that's that's you know when I look back on my career, you think about we talked about Scott Sullivan. You know, you watched him come up in the minor leagues. Yeah. You know, then come to the major leagues and be a great teammate, be a leader on this club. And there's so many, you know, Sean Casey, Aaron Boone, go down the list of guys that we watch come through our organization and get to know them. Then they get married. Then they have kids. And you get to, you know, you get to go mm-hmm. to their, their induction at their high school Hall of Fame right. or the Reds Hall of Famers. So you, the, the continuance of, of their lives as they mesh with your life, right. it's pretty neat. Yeah. Who were your heroes? Uh, my mom and dad, the top of the list. I mean, like I said, they told me, you know, work hard, have fun, good things will happen. They, yeah. they told me about, you know, um, not just how to carry yourself on the athletic field, but how to carry yourself in life and to be a good teammate, to, to cherish the time that you have every day and, uh, and to love the people that are around you. Mm-hmm. So it's certainly from life. My mom and dad are at the top of the list. In baseball, I was a Willie Mays fan. I wore 24 uh, all through my career whenever I could get the number. Because, uh, I mean, for me, he was the most exciting player. I, uh, and, to, you know, you talk about getting to meet and know your idol. To, to be able to spend time with him was, was a great, great, for me, great moment. And it's, it's been a lasting part of my relationship yeah. with him over the years. But, um, you know, I, I, you look... Yeah, I, when you say idol, it's who you admire. I yeah, who would you admire? Like I, I know Willie Mays was was your guy. Uh, is broadcasters? Did you did you have broadcasters you admired? Well, I was pretty. I started besides we, Vin, obviously. When when I was a kid, I grew up in Connecticut, and I still mm-hmm. live in Connecticut. We had a place called East Rock Park, which was a giant mountain right by the shore in New Haven, Connecticut, and everybody went up there with their dates. Went parking. It was a special special <laughs> place to go. But it also, parking. Yeah. Huh. Okay. It, 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 it also <laughs> gotcha. was the highest point in the yeah. state of Connecticut. And ah. you also, on your AM radio, could get New York. You'd listen to yeah. Mel Allen and Red Barber. You could listen to Philadelphia. You listen to Baltimore, Chuck yeah. Thompson. You listen to Ernie Harwell in Detroit. You listen to uh, Jack Buck and Harry Carey in St. Louis. You know, you go down the list oh, yeah. and you listen to great broadcasters. Yeah. And I would go up there because on my AM radio, I could get all of them. So I could listen to them. Especially and it, at night. Yeah. It, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. At night, you know, it was clear channel, you know, right. stations. You know, they skipped from Detroit, you know, all the way to St. Louis, all right. the way to Connecticut. So as as a broadcaster, I'd listen to them and, and close my eyes. And like I said, I... I was a Giants fan and, uh, in 1958 when the Giants left to go to San Francisco. Les Kiter recreated the games on WINS in New York. And I had a little, I still have the little transistor radio that I used to stick under my pillow 
that Les Kider oh. would recreate the games and I'd listen to the games. Oh, and yeah. So way. often my mother would come in the next morning and the t the radio was still on. And she oh, says, were yeah. you doing that again? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You had to have a lot of bat. You had to have good batteries, man. <laughs> yeah. I've, I've told the transistor radio story many times. I was that kid as well. Uh, and again, I've said this before. I'll say it again. Kids out there, uh, transistor radio, just Google it. Yep. Yeah. Uh, but boy, has it changed now. I mean, um, wow. Could you uh, have ever imagined technology nowadays? I mean, you can watch games on your phone. And I know, you, by the way, that one of the biggest upsets in the world, and this goes along with Bronson Arroyo, who had the flip phone, who I just recently yeah. went to the smartphone. George Grand is in the smartphone world, and I can text him now. <laughs> yep. It took Which a is kind of good. That part is good, but I... <laughs> Uh, I was, Bronson and I were flip phone guys. Oh yeah. And the only reason why I had to move from it was because they didn't make the phone anymore. So, <laughs> yeah. but my wife is still has a flip phone. She has oh, a, really? hers is still, she doesn't use it that much. So, yeah. um, but yeah, I, I'm, uh, you know, there, there is a benefit to it, but, uh, and I, you know, I, my belief is you use it like salt and pepper, not like meat and potatoes. I think too many people in our livelihood oh, today, please. they're on the phone or they're on their computers all day believe long. Me. I put mine down. I leave it. When I want to use it, I use it. And I think that's a lesson I think all of us could learn. Yeah. I was down interviewing Lou Pinella a couple of years back, and he had just gotten into the smartphone thing. <laughs> and he was trying to figure out how to text. And you know how Lou gets, oh, he yeah, gets all mad. He's, and, uh, He'll throw that against the wall before all, long. All, there's no doubt. Well, he, he, threw, he did throw it in this instance. <laughs> yep. We were going down to his uh, – we were going to go hit some golf balls at the country club. We were just doing an interview with him hitting golf balls. And he's, uh, he's like – uh, I've been you know, trying to send this text, and uh, I don't know this person's supposed to tell me this. You know the hell with it, and he just threw it <laughs> yep. across the room. Let's go. I don't need this thing. <laughs> yep, that's Lou. That's Lou. Um, that's beautiful. He's the best. He's the best. What teams? I, I know this answer, but for the listeners out there, how many teams you broadcast for? Um, well, at ESPN, I covered all of them, and then for play-by-play, yeah. -play, when I left ESPN, uh, I went to the um, – Yankees mm -hmm. for two years, and then that's when I did the games with uh, Phil Rizzuto and Tom Seaver, and then that's when the Yes Network came into right. being, and they they wanted to cut us, you know, from I was WPIX in New York from eighty five games down to twenty five, and they only pay you per game, so I couldn't really make. That a was living. an easy decision. Yeah, so I I left there, went to St. Louis, was there for two years, mm -hmm. and loved it there. Um, in fact, I had talked to the Reds at that time. But somebody had a job here, and I, I, I didn't. I said, no, I don't want any part of taking somebody's job. Right. Um, I went to St. Louis and did the the Cardinals, and my deal there was I could. All this time I've lived in Connecticut. I've never moved, and my mom and dad were were elderly, and we took care of them. Joanne's mom and dad too. Um, and when when I went to St. Louis, my deal was I could um, continue to live in Connecticut. As it turned out, they. They fired the guy who was doing the blues hockey and wanted because I had done college hockey and, and American Hockey League hockey. Mm -hmm. They wanted me to move to St. Louis and do both hockey and baseball. Oh, wow. And I, I as much as I wanted to do it because I love St. Louis, I love the people mm -hmm. I worked with, um, I just didn't want to leave my family. Uh, yeah. And I didn't want to move my family. Right. Uh, and didn't want to leave my mom and dad. So, uh, and coincidentally, at the same time, uh, the Reds called again. And they had they had uh, not renewed the contract of the guy who was doing the games here, 
and asked if I was still interested, and I said yes, and Marty called and said, come on, come over, we'll have some fun, and uh, he sure was right. I mean, that was 27 wow, years Marty ago. Wow, Marty called you back. I didn't know that. did not know that. They had Marty call you? Well, I, yeah. no, I called and ca- oh, talked called. to him. Yeah. And I left a message saying, you know, I, I want to get the lay of the land, number one, to see, do you think this is a good thing, is there, or is there somebody else that that might be coming along that, you know, yeah. and should, should I follow this up? And he said, no, come on down. He said, we've got great people here and we'll have a lot of fun. And he sure was right. 27 years ago, 27 years. Um, wow. Uh, when I ask you who are the, I don't want to say favorite, but who are the, the players that stand out to you over those 27 years for the rest? Uh, I think we probably have the same list. Yeah. You know, I think, you know, you know, I, I guys, you know, the, there have been, and like we talk about, for me, my career and my life is about relationships, you know, and Joe mm-hmm. Nuxall and Bernie Stowe were at the top of that list just yeah. to be here every day and to sit with Bernie. I, every time I walked into the clubhouse, Bernie be making another tuna fish salad, and I'd, I'd laugh. I said, tuna fish salad number 4,382, and he'd laugh, and I'd laugh. Then I'd go sit with Nuxie on the um, on the in the dugout because you know he didn't he never bought cigarettes right he always told Don Zeta I haven't bought cigarettes in years but somehow miraculously somebody yeah. left a pack of cigarettes at the top of the dugout and we'd sit there and talk for about half hour yeah. 45 minutes just about life yeah and I think that was true of the players that we've seen come up too um, mm-hmm. you know I mean we talked about Scott Sullivan uh, Sean Casey mm-hmm. Aaron Boone down the list guys who We've had the chance to watch, you know, David Bell, the, the whole Bell family. I mean, Buddy and I were very close for many years. And to watch David, and I mean, David's gotten a job now. And I think the next thing that I'm looking forward to is when his brother Mike gets a job. He's, you know, now running the minor league operation player development for Arizona. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he will either be a general manager or possibly a manager. He is he's brilliant. Um, so... You know, and I've watched David. David and I, every time we would be together, whether he was in San Francisco or St. Louis or whether he was playing in Philadelphia or wherever, we would always take time together, sometimes have breakfast, sometimes just talk, you know, come out early and walk around the park or sit in the dugout. Uh, and to watch them grow, to watch, I mean, I watched Aaron, I'll never forget, we, of course, had Brett Boone and Aaron Boone with the Reds. And when we would, I'll never forget, we went to, um, uh, San Diego, and we're playing, and um, Bob's father, Ray Boone, was a scout for the Red Sox. So I meet him. We're going, we're, we're, he's at the game the night before, and then SC's playing the next day, and Brett's playing, and then Aaron played after him, and we're sitting in the stands. I'm with Ray Boone and another guy who was a scout, uh, American League scout, and there's like three scouts in front of us, you know, young guys, and they're they're talking, and I hear one guy say, they're talking about how about how about the kid Brett Boone, and this other guy said, well, he's small, he's short, he's slow, he's never going to make it in the major leagues, and Ray hears this, and oh, Ray's got all of a sudden he turns off, he says, wait a minute, wait a minute, he grabs this kid's shoulder, and he's got tobacco's coming spitting out of his mouth let me tell you something he's gonna make it to the major leagues and he's gonna be an all-star this kid had no idea that ray boone was was sitting behind him uh, <laughs> so every time we'd go to either la or to san diego we'd yeah. end up going to watch sc play and to watch aaron boone how he grew up you know and his dad bob was at stanford when i was at sc 
so we have known each other since then and we've remained close over all these years um but yeah i'd put i mean there's so many guys but at the top of the list it starts with sean casey who is yeah. on everybody's list um just the best I yeah. Mean, yeah he did a I, he did a podcast with me it is i've done a lot of things <laughs> a lot of interviews. it is the single funniest thing i've ever he's the best and he, it has nothing to do with me it's all about him yep. it's the funniest thing ever i would re- anyone just picking up this podcast please go listen if you listen to any episode besides this one right here Listen to the Sean Casey episode, but get ready to belly laugh. I mean, uh, you know, and and when I think and I close my eyes, you think of the laughs and the stories and the times with Case. But for me, the moment that I'll never forget is when he first came up. And, of course, Casey McKeon and Jack McKeon were big supporters of his Mm -hmm. and advised the Reds, bring him up, bring him up. He came up, had his debut, and then during batting practice, Damian Jackson uh, from second base while Casey's taking ground balls at first, fires a ball at first and hits him in the eye. Hits him in his right eye, right. which is his lead eye mm-hmm. as a left-handed hitter. His eye swelled up like a grapefruit. Um, he goes to the hospital, and I went to see him the next day. And I'll never. And at that time, his girlfriend was Mandy, his wife now. Right. I'll never forget walking into that room and seeing his eye. It looked like, remember the shots of... Uh, Tony Canigliaro, when he was hit yeah. by Jack Hamilton, that's mm-hmm. what Casey's eye looked like. Wow. And Mandy was there, and I looked at Mandy's in Mandy's face, and she was scared. And I looked at Case, and he was scared. And down deep, I was scared because I said, this kid may never play again. That's his lead eye as a yeah. left-handed hitter. And I, I, as soon as I saw him, I, I said, you know, put on a happy face, put on a good face. And we, we kidded, we laughed, you know, and – and I'll never forget that moment because there was that moment you wondered, would he ever come back? And I, I knew Billy Canigliaro very well. And, mm-hmm. and uh, I watched what Tony went through, and Tony was never the same player. But Case came back. Yeah. And you know, now when I'm with them, and now you know, he's a great dad, he's a coach, his kids are growing up. And when, whenever I go to Pittsburgh, we get together. And, for, and fortunately, I mean, this is the first time in 30 years I haven't done a series in Pittsburgh. I missed that. But Case would always come enjoy yeah. a, and join us, yeah. which was great. But going to his house and being with him and watching him and Mandy and what great parents they are and his mom and dad, who we've known for years, um, that, that moment you know, will always, to me, the two moments – that stick out among all the the moments with Case were that moment, and the other one was when I was at the winter meetings and we traded him, and um, I went into the Reds' office, the room, and I got I got wind that that they were going to trade him, and I I argued against that, but to no avail, <clears throat> and I called him. I said, Case, well, Case called me. He said, What do you hear? And I called him back. I said, Case, it looks like it's going to happen. You're going to get traded. We both cried. You know, I said, Case, look at it this way. You're going back home. You're going to Pittsburgh, yeah. where you grew up. And he and he said, Georgie, he said, my I grew up in Cincinnati. Right. As a man, I grew up in Cincinnati. My kids have been born in Cincinnati. Cincinnati's my home. And we're both crying on the phone. Yeah. I said, it's there's going to be great day. And for him, to eventually, you know, he, he eventually, of course, hit the first home run at PNC Park, right. which is great. He almost had the first home run out of PNC right. Park, but it hit a light stanchion. Yeah. And when he hit that first home run, I brought him a ball. Um, I said, here, sign this. You know, not the ball. He got the ball. Yeah. But I said, here, sign this and sign it. First home run ever at PNC Park. Save this for your kids because no one's ever going to be able to say that again. Absolutely. For a Pittsburgh kid, you know. That's huge. Pretty neat. He still hasn't. And he 
he expressed this very vehemently on this podcast. He still hasn't gotten get, gotten over getting traded. No. And I'm trying to remember who he got traded for, but I think his phrase was... Williams, Dave Williams. Yeah. <laughs> he, he traded me for Dave Williams. Here, there are guys fighting to get to the bat rack to face Dave Williams. He's throwing poop soup up there. <laughs> no, it, it was... He, uh, it was one of my darkest days yeah. uh, being with the Reds, and because I had gotten word, some somebody from the organization asked me to evaluate a couple of guys on the Pittsburgh mm-hmm. team, and Dave Williams was one of them. Not, nothing against Dave; he's yeah. you know a bullpen guy, a nice, right. per, good person. And I had no idea that they were talking about Casey. I thought we were going to well, make some kind dump. of a minor. Was it, not? it was, it was a but the dump. thing that I think bothered him more than anything was they never approached him yeah. and said, "Would you renegotiate?" Right. You know, would you would you would you bump down? And he would have. He probably would have. He would have. Yeah. I mean, in this day and age, when nobody does, he would have because he wanted to stay yeah. here. Well, he got to go on and experience Which Detroit and Boston you know, and and World it turned Series. out. To, I said, yeah. Case, you're going to look back and you're going to have great experiences. Yeah. The Lord, you know, closes doors but opens windows, and he he has a great faith, yeah. and he believed in that, and he think he took it that way. He got to a World Series, experienced, you know, right. you know, some great baseball and some other people that he never would have experienced had that not happened yeah well i forgot about him getting hit in the eye maybe that you know the baseball gods have a way of getting even sometimes maybe that was for almost killing bob feller (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) the story that he told which may be my favorite story of all time check out the archives if you haven't um chris welsh you guys were together so many years i mean uh, you know, every broadcast. Hi, hello, and welcome to the big ballpark by the river. Along with the crafty <clears throat> left-hander George, or Chris Welsh. Jeez, I can't even do get it right. Along with the crafty left-hander Chris Welsh, I'm George Graham. For so many years. Um, what? Did, to my knowledge, you played a major part in Chris getting the job. Yeah, no, no. What, 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 but what you, I mean, you had to okay it. What did you see in him? Because nowadays, he's so insightful. I mean, when I'm doing the games, I try... Uh, I'm a big believer in the color guy, um, you know, being, I don't want to say the star of the show, but television is, is an analyst medium and analyst medium. Not, you no know, radio. I'm I grew up to in radio. The nuts exactly. And, exactly. and I, I don't want to be the analyst. There are right. times I might give a little bit of something that I know, but it's always attributed. It's not my yep. opinion. It's this coach told me this, this coach told me that. this player told me that not necessarily my opinion, but I leave that to him because he's really insightful and he's really up on the analytics. He's grown with the game, uh, but there's a mix of the eyes and the analytics. But what what did you see in him? Back well, then? I mean, he was analytical back then. Remember, he yeah. had the Thinking Pitcher, mm-hmm. which was a newsletter that he wrote every month. Right. And this was before he ever came to the Reds. So that was part of his repertoire back then. Mm-hmm. Number one. Number two. He played the game, and stayed close to the game. Number three, he has a great personality. Number four, like we talked about, he's a great teammate. You know, he's unselfish. I mean, yeah. his goal and my goal was similar, to, to come, come back with the best broadcast we could come back for. And it was never, I was never trying to one-up him or vice versa. And I think that was important. I think it was critical that, you know, that you have that rapport. And it's mm-hmm. always been that way. I mean, for, it's like, I mean, every time I sit down next to him, it's, it's a great honor and it's, it's a joy because I feel like I'm sitting next to my brother. You know, and we have, 
we've gone through a lot, you know. I mean, he lost his mom and his dad. Mm-hmm. I lost my mom and dad. We've had kids born. We've had kids get married. We've, you know, watched, you know, I've watched grandkids come along. And, right. you know, I remember sitting with his dad so often. His dad was so proud of everything that he had accomplished as an athlete and even more so as a broadcaster. And his mom, Kay, was just a wonderful person. And, you know, Dan and Kay were two people that you just enjoyed being around. And they enjoyed every moment of Chris being back in Cincinnati right. again where they could watch him every night and see the games every night um, so it was uh, I mean for me it's you know like I said it, it's about teammates mm-hmm. and I think um, it, it's like I'm doing a game with my brother every time I sit down and I, I lost my brother yeah. uh, so he's like a surrogate brother to me right. today well yeah he had those losses along the way and he lost the stash as well George <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, now you want to talk about big time mustaches in the game? Chris Welsh had one of them. Yep, Magnum. <laughs> yeah. Magnum. Back when he played, we oh, called him Magnum. He yeah. looked just like We called Magnum. him Magnum PI. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the other part of that, too, is when we went through this whole process, Dougie Flynn interviewed at that time. Oh, really? And Dougie had his hair pulled back. Yeah, and, you know, and a long hair. Yeah, and ask Dougie about that. So oh, when yeah. you do something with him, and, and and Marge took one look and said, "Oh, what's that?" You know, <laughs> Chris was smart. He cut the stash before he ever came in for the interview. <laughs> uh, but there's well, another it, pleasure guy. You know, we're so lucky to have him around. Oh, what a joy! Yeah. I mean, you talk about good people. Doug I mean, Flynn, Dougie, um, and Olga well, are, are the just best. they're the, the they're best. the best that that walk the face. Of I the mean, earth. I cherish the uh, the friendships I've been able to have with guys like Doug Flynn. Uh, the, the Maloney's, Jim Maloney, yep. when I, I, I see them at spring training, uh, getting, you know, ribbing from Jack Billingham as <laughs> I wear it like a badge of honor. Uh, God rest his soul, Lee May used oh, to get God. on me all the time. You know, uh, and like you're talking about when we would have, you know, Reds Fest, yeah. you know, Lee and Terry would come down, Jack and Lynn would come yeah. down, and we'd all sit down and, and you know, um, uh, you know, whether whoever happened to be coming in town, you'd mm-hmm. sit down. It's like the big red machine guys getting together, yeah. telling stories about each other, and you'd be up till two or three oh, in the yeah. morning laughing your oh, head yeah. off Lee, at their stories. Lee May was the best. He I, was. The best. He was. Goodness gracious, he would uh, he would get on me all the time. And the the day that he, uh, I've told this about several people, but when he remembered my name, you know, it's like one of the I tell this to Joe Morgan too. I go, the the day you said my name, you remember my name. I called people and said, Joe Morgan, Joe Morgan knows my name. Joe Morgan knows my name. Can yeah. you believe that? Um, so it's crazy for me as a kid that uh, grew up. What what is your secret to? I mean. You don't age. Oh, no, we can't. None of us can stop the clock. Hopefully, I, well, hopefully I mean, we don't you, change inside. Whatever genes you have, my friend, <laughs> is like, okay, we're doing the telethon the other night. And I'm like, uh, sometimes I wear makeup and sometimes I don't. I probably should all the time because I scare women and children <laughs> in high-definition television. But I'm like, wow, we're going to have a lot of camera time here. Maybe I should put on some makeup. Wait, I'm standing next to George. I've got to put on some makeup. You got like the eternal tan going. Uh, It could be mid-January, and George will go outside in the house and get about two minutes of sunshine, tan right back. What's your secret? I thank my dad for that. My dad was the same way. I mean, he'd spend two minutes in the sun, and he was dark. He was very dark-skinned, but (laughs) my mom and dad both lived over 100, so uh, I was fortunate to have them around for a long period of time. But, 
you know, and like I said, the, I think the, the most important thing is we're all going to, I mean, you can't stop the clock. Yeah. But hopefully well, we don't. you've slowed it down, my ho- friend. Hopefully we don't change inside. Yeah. That's the most important yeah, thing. Yeah, no doubt. What, what's it like, um, as you said, this is the first year where you haven't been doing games. Um Miss it? It was. It I miss. The, I miss seeing people, but I, yeah. I'm loving it, you know. And I, as I told uh, uh, Bob and I had a talk at the end of last season, Bob mm-hmm. Castellini, and I said, Bob, he said, we got. I said, we got enough guys now. I mean, I agreed to do this um, when I first stepped back. Um, it was, you know, for family reasons. You know, my, I lost my brother and mm-hmm. need to, for his family and uh, our family. I need to be closer to home, but. In the same respect, you know, the idea was to to give us at Fox Sports and the Reds options to come back and plug me in here or there where you have holes. Right. And now we've got enough guys, and we got plenty of guys. And and I don't want to hold back anyone's growth and development by hanging around. Now, if something comes up and there's a, you know, I told Bob, I said, look, I'll be, I'll always be there. Bob's been wonderful. Mm-hmm. If you need me, I'll be there. And I've told the people at Fox Sports that if you need me, I'll be there to help when you need me, but don't, don't schedule me. Um, you know, if, give, give the guys that we have the opportunity to grow and develop so that we have, a, you know, a good bench, uh, that we can make people interchangeable, whether it's play by play or the pregame or the postgame or whatever. And if something comes up, I mean, I'm, I always will come back here for the, for Charlie Frank and the, the, the telethon because mm-hmm. it does so much great work. And Johnny asked me to, to come in for his catcher's awards. I right. do that because Johnny and I have been friends forever. Um, so, um, I mean, for me, from a family standpoint, I don't, I don't miss it at all. Um, I miss people. Right. I miss, you know, seeing, I, I miss, uh, David Bell's one of my favorite people. I wish I could be there every night to walk into the clubhouse and to, to be with them through this process of growing, of developing, of bringing a team together. Um, but that's life. You know, right. we move on and, and all the people that I'm close with know, and I still talk to, talk to people on the phone or we text back and forth. I talk to Aaron Boone on a regular basis. That'll never end. Same thing with David. Um, so I'm, I'm still keeping in touch. But it's nice not being in airports and hotels. Yeah. And I'll be honest with you. I mean, you got to sit through it. But I've sat, you know, when I was doing the games and sitting at home, I wasn't doing all the games, but I do some. Right. But I sat until 1 or 2 in the morning on those West Coast games. Oh, now yeah. I can DVR and I can go to bed. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know, I can say good night after the rain delay. I'll, Absolutely. I usually text Chris and, and say, see you, buddy. Good luck. You know? <laughs> like I did on Father's Day after the rain delay. You know? Yeah. So much for getting out early and having Father's Day dinner. Absolutely. Well, there you go, folks. Uh, for those, uh, I'm doing more games this year. It's George's fault. So I'm, I, <laughs> and I apologize. Doing, <laughs> you're you doing, had to put up with me. <laughs> you're doing a great job, J.D. It's, uh, it's a joy to, to watch you and listen uh, to it. Uh, I, I appreciate that. Um, it's been a joy to sit and talk with you. Um, man, uh, tell me you will do this again because, I we again, I've said this so many times, I barely scratched the surface with people. You've got so many stories and uh, so many people you come in contact with. So uh, I hope you'll do this again. Anytime, J.D. Keep up the great work. I appreciate it. See George the- Grand, ladies and gentlemen, uh, one of the best of the best and a career that is just unbelievable the amount of people that he's touched and come in contact with uh and again hosted the first sports center truly a pioneer in this business my friend see you at the ballpark buddy all right <laughs> and once again thanks for checking out the gym day podcast 
Uh, we hope you'll spread the word that you will subscribe, rate, and review and help us grow this thing. Follow me on Instagram and Twitter at Jim Day TV. Uh, thank you, George Grant. Until next time, so long, everyone, from the Jim Day Podcast.